Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I got to tell you, when when this lady and I connected, she's got a book and she's got, if you're watching on YouTube, she's got something over top of her head that says, say yes every day. And if you're listening to this, I'm describing it for you. And so I was particularly thrilled when she decided to say yes to come on to the Intentional Encourager podcast. She is, as I mentioned, the author of the new book, Say Yes Every Day. She is a women with vision chair, so many things that she does. But right now, what she's doing is talking with me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I want to welcome my friend, Laura Brandeo to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Well, thank Laura, you so you? much, Brian. It is wonderful to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. You might have regretted saying yes after we get into this conversation that we're going to have. I'm ready. (laughs) Hey, I want to start here. You and I were talking before we started recording. We were talking about you you split your time between the East Coast and West Coast. And so I want to ask you as as we're starting this and we've been recording these podcasts in the midst of COVID-19, what was the biggest impact for you? as you were you're were transitioning was there a point where you weren't able to go back to the east coast you were stuck on the west coast or was it vice versa how did this past year impact what you normally do as far as splitting your time between east coast and west coast yes absolutely well it's really interesting because 4 years ago well let's back up i had a goal that i set that i'm from new jersey And that's where born and raised, you know, raised my family there. And every winter as that snow was piling on in New Jersey and my kids were growing up, I would turn to my husband and I would say, one day we're going to figure out a way that we're going to get away from the East Coast, you know, and the snow in the winter. And then we'll come back when the snow is gone and we'll be here for our family. So four years ago, I came up with a way to accomplish that by opening up a West Coast office in Arizona. And we started that process. So last year, I did what I've been doing the last four years, where we leave right after the holidays and we go to Arizona for the winter. Now think of what was happening. At that time, COVID, you know, you heard about it in other places and you were hearing little bits, but Things haven't been shut down yet in the beginning. You are of the so year. young to be a snowbird. You are way too young. Because I remember right? when my wife's grandparents, my wife's grandparents, when I got married to my wife 20 almost 25 years ago, they did that. They were in their 70s then and they would transplant from West Virginia right. to go to Florida. You are far too young to but be look at a how snowbird. awesome that is. But isn't that awesome you want to do it when you're young? You don't want to have to wait, right? Oh, that's tremendous. That is so good. So what happened last year is my normal routine would be there was a mortgage conference that I would speak at every year, and it was the first week of March. 
So last winter, we spent our time, and then I got on an airplane on March 4th, and I flew to California, and I spoke at an event with 2,500 people, and then I went back to New Jersey. Well, like you just said, did I get stuck somewhere? Well, yes, I was then in New Jersey the whole rest of the year due to all of the change in COVID. But then at that time, you know, we allowed the holidays to pass. And once again, right after the holidays, we came back out to Arizona. And now we're spending the winter here again, because we have our own place here. But the difference is we're working from home. We're not going to an office. We're physically in my home, you know, office working here. Was that a... I got to think, you know, that was such a disruption because for four years, you guys said, okay, we're going to, right after the holidays, kids will see you in March or April. That's we'll right. be back. And, and my kids are grown. It's not like I left like my high schoolers. Or right. Anything yeah. All. Yeah. Your, your elementary school kids <laughs> yeah. were left to fend for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that had to be different because again, that was, that was your and your husband's new normal the goal that you had set out to do your kids were always, they were, they were, you know, mom and dad will be back in, in March or April. How big of an adjustment was that for you being there? It, it, you know, because again, I asked that question, Laura, because on the one hand, it's always good to be with your family. It's always good to have your kids close by and things like that. On the other hand, the disruption of, but this is, you know, we, ha we have the, the second office in Arizona. We have things set aside to do what we've set out to do. Was it a manageable disruption or did it take you some time to kind of go, okay, we're going to, we're going to have to hunker down for a while. We definitely hunker down and you have to picture that my office in New Jersey consisted of, you know, I have 400 employees in my office wow. in New Jersey. And when I returned from that trip that I spoke at in California at, you know, second week of March of 2020, I then had to figure out how to make all of my employees remote. Now, some people were remote before. We actually were a little advanced. The percentage of my company was already remote, but we had to go 100% remote. So as quick as I returned to my East Coast office, we had to go 100% remote, including myself, and I never worked from home. I was always someone very regimented that I had to, I got up at four in the morning. I was in the office by 5.30. I was the first person opening the door. And I was someone that needed, I liked that routine. That was mm -hmm. my life. That was what I, and now I'm working from my house and things are weird, right? And now my husband is no longer going to an office for his company. He's working from the house. And at that time, my, my youngest son actually was still living at home at that time. So he was working from the house for his company that he worked for. So now we're all in this house working for three different companies, trying to figure out how to handle this. So it was a major disruption. And I'm at, my main job is I am the president and partner at a mortgage company. I, mm. I own a national mortgage company. And... There was a lot of turmoil happening in my industry where it was unsettling. 
the rates were bouncing all over the place. The secondary market, the Fed was coming in and buying bonds. It was a very, very upheaval, huge upheaval, where all of a sudden we had to figure out how to normalize, how to keep everyone calm, and how to get into an entirely new routine. Well, and I got to think too, and I'm, I'm sitting here taking notes at, at what you're saying, because I've got to think that you mentioned your husband working from home, yep. your youngest son. My, my son is a sophomore in college. Okay. And so they were taking um, the Marshall University where he goes was now going 100% virtual. I was working from home. My wife was considered still an essential employee, so she got to go to a physical location. When you think about the altered routine that you have, you're going to work every day. You're unlocking the door. You're the one turning the lights on. Was it, and and now you're dealing not only with external forces on your company, but external forces on your industry. Tell me how you how you were able to get through each day. What what was what was your go to? And let me ask you this way. Let me kind of back up and pun a little bit, and then ask you this way: How did you keep yourself encouraged? How did you keep yourself focused? How did you keep yourself from from giving into the chaos that was around you? Yeah, it's very very important to me to always be a servant leader. That is absolutely down to the core. I am there to serve and to lead. During a time of chaos, that is the most important time when you need to be seen, heard, and felt by anyone out there. Now, you mentioned, you know, we were speaking about social media and influence and things like that. I made myself more available and more visible to whether you knew me personally or not, to be out there in an encouraging way, over-communicating, providing people with insights and support, because I believe that during that time of chaos, I saw a lot of people run away. I saw a lot of people not know what to say. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to approach it. And at the end of the day, when you are a servant leader, you have to show up. So that's first. So it was one of the very first things that when I started traveling with the East and West Coast, when I would return to my East Coast, I would meet, and it's funny, you learn lots of things in the ladies' room. So sometimes I would be in the ladies' room <laughs> and my I team, love that. Well, yes. well, yeah. Well, listen, here in West Virginia, what you learn in, in the restroom is um, you learn that you might you might have to watch where you put your hands because you might get a a dirty needle or something like that. Yeah. Or, or, or you might see some, some uh, gossiping graffiti about certain people with phone numbers attached. So I I just wanted to, (laughs) I love, I love what you said though, about the things you learn in the ladies room. So go a little bit deeper and explain all that. ladies room when when I would be in the ladies room my team that I would meet there when I would meet the ladies from my company they would always say to me Laura when we come in to the parking lot and we see your car in that very first spot 
there's a sense of calm and a sense of we're okay because Laura's here. So I thought when, when that, they told me that, I got an idea that some people in my team, they don't get to see me every day because maybe just they don't work on the same floor or I never interact with them. So I got an idea that I started making videos every single morning. I make a video to address my company and I welcome them and I give them a good word and I tell them great things that happened and I tell them how we're doing and give them updates. So when we went to work from home, it was vital to me that my team saw me, heard me and felt me. And that wasn't just for my internal team. I did it to my network. I did it to all the organizations or I did it to a stranger because not only was it important for them, it also helped me to be able to be inspired. I made sure my hair was done every day. I made sure my makeup was on and I was wearing regular clothes. I didn't go wear sweats every single day of the week, you know, cause I wouldn't wear sweats before. Why would I wear it now? So I made sure that I did those things to stay, keep in the right mindset. And then with the time that I saved, not traveling on a New Jersey highway that I probably spent over two hours a day back and forth to work. I started doing live TV show, live shows on Facebook. I, I do multiple podcasts. Um, I wrote the book, Say Yes Every Day, came out of extra time that I had. I became a magazine. Um, I have a column in a magazine that I do. I was a contributor in two books in 2020 in addition to my own book. I mean, I took that time. I started a women's group. I became the chair of three other organizations. So I took the time that I was able to gain not getting on an airplane, not traveling on a highway, not getting caught up in airports and whatever else type of things that I was doing. And I leaned into these other projects. That is so good. That is so good. Let's step aside, take a break. We'll come back with more conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Laura, I love what you said there about doing those things because I, I got to be honest with you, when, when I was writing people buy from people, I was writing it in Mexican restaurants over lunch 
or, you know, in an airplane while I was traveling to, to certain places and things like that. And you kind of, you have to redeem the time. Otherwise, you know, the, these things that you want to do kind of get pushed to the side when you found yourself, I want to go here for just a second. When you found yourself, because again, knowing where you live, you probably had to be in the office at 5.30 in the morning to make your commute less. Correct. To make your commute less timely. You know, mm-hmm. in, instead of if you leave for the office at 7, you're probably two hours getting there because of traffic. If you leave at 5.30 in the morning or something like that, 30 minutes and you're, and you're, and you're there. Correct. Yeah, you're 30 minutes and you're there. And so, you know, the, the time. So did you did you alter your routine in any way? Did you get up a little bit later? Did you or did you I, stay? I started at six. So I would start. You I slept still, in for 30 minutes. Yes. Six o'clock. Yes. <laughs> yes. So six o'clock. My wife but, always likes it when I sleep in a little bit. But, but I will tell you, out in Arizona, I start work at 430 in the morning which is actually technically a half an hour later because the time zone is two hours right now in the winter, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. 6.30. But I started 4.30 in the morning working, computer on, video being recorded every day when I'm in Arizona. Let me ask you this. When, when, when you and your husband decided we're going to open an office in Arizona, we're, we're going to do this, we're going to, to, to be bi-coastal, you, you mentioned just a minute ago that your team, it was so important for your team to see you. How was that adjustment the first year that you made it? Because, again, when a leader is present, there's two things that happen. Either there's, in your case, a sense of calm, a sense of stability, a sense of, you know, belonging and, and things like that. Or when a leader enters the building, there's like, oh, no, yeah. this person's here, you know, great, you know, the uh, day ruined today. And I'm not, but, but how much of an adjustment was it for your team when you went to them and said, this is what we're going to do. You're not going to see me for three months. You're not going to see me for an extended period of time. We, we have video technology. We can, we can FaceTime, we can Skype at that, you know, at that time. And then Zoom has, has obviously been a big thing then. But how big of an adjustment was it for your team not seeing you day in and day out? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And if, listen, when I started my company, it was 2007. In 2007, I wouldn't have even thought about it, right? It, it was a different world. The technology was not as good. You didn't have so many collaborative tools like Teams and Slack and things like that. That wasn't as mature, right? So at that point in time, I would have never even considered it. But like I had mentioned when I was saying about going remote, half of my team was already remote by the time I was thinking of doing the East Coast, West Coast. So our company was very comfortable with being able to collaborate on teams and doing video calls and and working. All of our work is digital. We don't work with papers. Everything is paperless. So... By the time that I made this decision to do this, it was twofold. One, I went to Arizona to expand my business. I opened up a West Coast office to grow. So in one regard, I told my my team, 
this is part of our strategy of growth for the company to expand our West Coast. And Laura, that is a comfort. I'm glad. I am so glad you brought that up. So let's go here for a second. Okay. It is a comforting feeling for employees to know that they are a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. When when you said to them, I can imagine, and, and I was trying to put myself in that in that situation. You go to your team and you say, listen, this is what's happening, but we are in a position as a company. The reason that I'm doing this is we're growing. We're expanding. That had to be such a comforting feeling to your employees. What was the feedback that you got from some of those folks? And and, and I can imagine some of your long-term team members that knew you better than most because they had been with you for so long. I can imagine you know, what they might say, but what was the overall feedback that you they, got? from They the were absolutely excited. And it's a very good point that as leaders, communication and providing your vision and including your team into your strategy plan is vital because when your team feels part of something, then they want it to be successful. If I just said, hey, guys, I don't want to shovel snow anymore. I'm going to go hang out there, but you're stuck in the East Coast. That would not have been the right way to handle that, right? So that ultimately, you have to show them the vision of the why. And not only did I tell them every step leading up to it, what I also did is that very first year, I invited all of my managers out to my Arizona office for the ribbon cutting. And we celebrated in a four day retreat and planning session where they all were so overjoyed being part of our West coast expansion. Oh, that is so good because what, what people, what happens is Laura is people go. So let me get this straight while I am up to my knees in snow in New Jersey and, and freezing cold, you're out there in your sandals and sundress and right. in, in the warm Arizona Valley sun. And, and it's, and, and you get people that they go, they, they don't understand Correct. the, the, the bigger picture. It is, well, Laura's leaving because right. you know, she, but they don't understand the bigger picture. That was so good. Let me ask you this. When you think about that ribbon cutting ceremony that yeah. you had with your folks and your managers, the four day retreat, what do you think was the biggest takeaway that those folks took away from, from that time? Because you could have some that would say, okay, cool. Four days in Arizona. Nice little getaway. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate that. But what do you, what do you think was the ultimate takeaway from your managers going out and seeing the other branch? And how did it translate to what they took back to New Jersey? Well, I mean, obviously everything was positive because what we did is the retreat was a lot of team building events. Like we we literally strategized and we played games together of working together and the fastest teams, you know, coming together. We had award ceremonies, right? We did celebrations of the prior year's accomplishments. And we actually made announcements of changes that I was making within the company, um, showing them the strategy for the next five years. And then, of course, we broke bread together. 
You know, we had our dinners together and we, the guys, you know, we had a choice of you could either go play golf or you could do like another event. And we had fun time together, right? So not only did they get to celebrate they got to see what the next five-year plan looked like. They got to be part of something. And you're correct. Probably the best part of all of that is they then took it back to their teams. Yeah. They took it back to their teams. And to this day, I mean, when I said ribbon cutting in my head, it literally took me back to that moment when I remember I had a, I literally had a plastic scissor and I remember cutting, there's this beautiful picture of me cutting the ribbon and my entire team surrounding me in Arizona. And it still warms my heart thinking about that moment. So, but the key to all of that was inclusion. It was yeah. the fact that they felt, and you're right, most of those managers and VPs were with me since the day I started the company, like very early on, like that first year. They felt they accomplished this. They felt that their hard work and their support to our clients and the dedication to what they do led us to be able to expand to the West Coast. They felt a sense of worth and accomplishment. Yeah. Well, and and I can remember I, I, I traveled to Arizona a couple of years ago on a, on a business trip. The one thing I remember was my wife calling me at five in the morning, going, "Are you up yet?" No, sweetheart, it's five a.m. Yes. out here. I now you see why I get I start work at four thirty because of that time zone. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm still asleep. I don't. Have and to that's yeah. But Brian, that goes back to why I had to open up a West Coast office. So the reason why I had to do this is that I'm a national lender, right? And I was always licensed in Arizona. The problem was I was trying to serve my West Coast clients from New Jersey. And just like what you said about no, you weren't up, the same thing happens when it's two in the afternoon on the West Coast and my East Coast people are like, I'm done for the day. Well, wait a minute, it's, it's two in the afternoon. What do you mean you're done for the day? So I had to fix that problem. I had to solve for that because that wasn't fair to my West Coast clients. And it also wasn't fair to my East Coast client, my East Coast team members. Well, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because I have a friend of mine that lives in Budapest, Hungary, mm -hmm. and he does business. A lot of his business is done in the United States. Yep. And he told me, he said, Brian, I have to adjust. I'm six hours ahead of the East Coast time. With the time difference, I'm I'm still three hours ahead of West Coast clients. Mm -hmm. He said, so I have to tailor my work schedule to when my clients are available. And That's he right. said, even though I'm six hours ahead, even though it's it's 10 in the morning or, or noon here in Budapest, it's 6 a.m. in New York and it's 3 a.m. in San Francisco. And he said, so... I could probably, you know, my work hours here are 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. because right. it, it's it's an adjustment with the time the schedule. Exactly. So, yeah, Laura, that, that is a perfect – I love what you said there about being responsive, yep. not only to your team, but also to your clients as well. Let me pivot here and talk a little bit about the book. You mentioned yes. writing the book. Um, during a pandemic, and I'm very well aware of that. I finished my book in, in the middle of a pandemic. And you're right, the time that you save not commuting and things like that, you can 
you can really take that time and dive pretty deeply. Was a book always something that you wanted to do? Was it, what is, was it something that was born from those videos? Tell me how the genesis of Say Yes Every Day came yeah. about for you. All right, here's a good one. All right, so here we go. So number one, when I built my company, my team would always say to me, Laura, you have to write a book someday. The story of how you built this company and everything we've done is such a great story. You have to write a book. So two years ago, I have a milestone birthday that happened in October. And two years ago, I knew the milestone birthday obviously was coming. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make a goal that by the time that birthday comes, I will have a book out. So two years ago, I started thinking about writing this book. I even, you know, partnered with someone and said, I will give the writings, but I need you to actually put it together, right? And we did that. We did that for about six months. And then that person wrote everything together and she gave it to me. And it wasn't what I wanted. It didn't tell the story. It told about all my accomplishments and it told all the great things I did, but that wasn't the message I wanted to relay. That wasn't at all what I wanted to get out to the world. So how did you overcome the self-disappointment? Because I can, I can picture, you know, going through that process myself and, and I'll, I'll share this with you and the listeners. When I wrote People Buy From People, it was something my dad told me 25 years ago when I yeah. got into sales. And I thought, I'm going to write a sales book. And halfway through it, I realized my dad wasn't talking about sales. He was talking about connection. Mm. It was that V8 moment, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> where it was like, I, I got to tear this thing up, so to speak, and, and yeah. kind of go back and start over. Was it disappointing for you? to have put that work and time in and go, this wasn't what I wanted, or was it more of an enlightening moment where you said, I have something. It's not where I wanted it to be. What, what was that process like for you? Cause I, I got to imagine it was, there's a lot of different emotions that could be at play there. When I read it, I realized it wasn't the message I wanted to share. And I decided that it probably just wasn't the right time. Okay. Just wasn't the right time. But you so didn't did, feel, you didn't feel any disappointment or I any didn't. frustration or anything like that. I didn't. I just said, it's not time yet. And so I stopped and I put it to rest. Okay. Now uh, let me go back and explain what say yes every day is and where that came from. So as I've explained, I'm a mortgage executive. I've been in the mortgage business my entire career, and I was able to build a successful company and be the only woman owner, the only woman president, all that good stuff. Okay, fantastic. Well, the year is 2018, and up until all that time of my career, first person in the office, last person to leave, workhorse, boom, 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 get it done. And then in 2018, we had something in my industry called margin compression. That means that you make less money on the loans, so you actually would have to double your production to make the money you used to make. Having been a commission sales rep and getting paid on gross profit, you I understand, understand that. margin <laughs> compression, yes. Okay. 
So here we are in 18 and margin compression is happening and everybody's really trying to get loans. And I, I like to call myself mama bear. I protect the company. I protect my team. I take care of everyone. And it's my job to figure out how to double my size in a difficult market. And at that moment, I got a phone call from one of my salespeople. And one of my salespeople says, hey, Laura, there's a new organization that just popped up in the mortgage industry, and everyone's talking about it. And I said, okay, let me check them out. And I found a gentleman, a young gentleman, and I said, hmm, this is interesting. Let me try to have a conversation. I called, I LinkedIn messaged, I Facebook messaged, I emailed, no, 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 no response, just no response. Well, I'm in sales just like you, we're all in sales. I just kept calling and kept calling and kept calling. And finally, this gentleman said, what do you want? And I said, well, you have an organization and you know, I wanna be part of it. And he came up and he visited me and he said, Laura, I'm doing a conference. The very first conference that, remember that conference I speak at every year? I'm doing the very first conference mm -hmm. and I want you to come and moderate a panel. So at that time I said, I'm there, I'm in. Well, Brian, up until that point, I had never left my office. I had never flown to clients. I had never spoke on a stage, never was on a podcast, never anything, not on social media, nothing. And so I get nervous after I said yes to him and I call that salesman back again. And I'm like, hey, we've got this opportunity to get up on a stage and speak. I really don't want to do it. I don't do those things. Why don't you do it? And he's like, sure, Laura, I'll, hey, I'll, I'll go up on the stage, not a problem. And I called that gentleman that's the head of the organization, and I said, oh, good news. My sales guy, he's going to get up there. And that gentleman said no to me. Now, yeah. Brian, I'm the president of the company. I'm the owner of the company. Nobody says no to me. I needed to hear that no. And I got on that airplane and I went and I spoke on that stage. When I got off that stage, I had a line of people. Mm -hmm. Two thirds of those people were women. And two thirds of those people came up to me and they said, Laura, we've never seen an executive woman that's the president in the mortgage industry ever, ever on a stage before. We've never heard a woman open her voice and share her knowledge about how she built a successful national mortgage company. You can't stop. And at that moment, I had a ripple effect. I started getting calls for podcasts and magazine articles and other speaking events. And I decided to say yes to those, but there's a very big secret to saying yes. It's not about saying yes to everything. What it's about is saying yes with no preconceived notions or expectations. It's for getting out of your comfort zone and being open to just embracing and being present to experiencing something new 
in that moment. Well, by saying yes, it created a ripple of more glorious things in my life that happened over the course of those two years than had happened in the last 20 in my career. It propelled me faster than I had ever moved along in the industry. And I ultimately became a light to the women, especially in my entire industry. That is so powerful. That's so powerful. Let's step aside, take a break, and we'll get into more of your story here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You know what you said about that moment when you were talking to this gentleman. And, and again, I have to, I have to, to, to throw this out there. The reason that gentleman I think told, you no was he was buying Laura. He was, he was buying Laura. And, he and again, saw it. He yeah, saw it. Yeah. And again, to, to my point, you know, uh, 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 the reason that I wrote people buy from people was my dad told me, he's like, look, son, people buy from people. When, when, when they ask you to do something, they're buying into the fact that they want you. They want you to do it. They want you to be a part of that. Take me through now. I want to pivot here for just a minute. Take me through some other things in your life, kind of some defining moments in your life, how you got from here, from there to here. And, and, and because I, I feel like that there's more to your story. <laughs> well, 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 how I got into the mortgage industry. All right. How I got into the mortgage industry. So I am very fortunate that I met my soulmate when I was 17 years old. Okay. I'm truly blessed that I met my husband when I was only 17. We instantly fell in love. And on my 19th birthday, we got engaged. Okay. Well, Two months after that 19th birthday, I was pregnant. And that was a surprise. So at that moment, of course, we got married. 
And now here we are together where he's in college, I'm in college, and now we're expecting to be parents. And so at that moment, we have to make a lot of tough decisions. My husband working multiple jobs, us going night and day trying to figure out how to finish school. And I stayed home with, with my oldest son because we couldn't afford daycare. You know what? I, I love this. I am a I am a baby of young parents. My mom and dad got married at 18 and 16. My mom and dad wow. my dad were my dad was 19. My mom was 17 when they had me. And oh so, my goodness. And so when you're saying that, I'm like, of course. I I I mean I can totally because again, Laura, the, the thing that the thing that's so remarkable is, and, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can just see the the smile on her face. <laughs> as she, as she reminisces about it, my parents were like, you know, we don't want you to get married that young. No. My dad was adamant. And he's like, you're not getting no, married. My, today. my kids aren't either. Right. right. <laughs> but, but the blessing from that was this is that, you know, my dad became my, my mom and dad became grandparents when they were young enough to it. My, my dad became a grandfather at 47 i'm 48 wow. wow yeah my son was born when my dad was 47 and That's so awesome. so now i'm at that point in my life where i'm like well i can just imagine what my dad was was thinking and things like that you're 19 mm -hmm. you're like your life is disrupted you and your husband are trying and god bless you guys for for just being a model of perseverance for of course for staying staying it, it my, my mom and dad did the same thing they stuck it out because that's what that's what you did that's what you do yeah <laughs> and and i mean like i said i we knew we were soulmates we knew we were getting married that part of it was never a question but when you add this complexity to the situation it certainly is a challenge so here i am you know 20 years old home with the baby during the day, going to school. And I decide it's time. My, we're struggling, of course, paycheck to paycheck. And I said, you know what? I need to find a job at night where I can contribute to the family. And so at that time, you pretty much had two choices. You were either going to work in a store, right? You're going to go work somewhere in a store, or you were going to get on the phone and you were going to call people. So I said, well, I'm going to go call people. And it's interesting that I had a choice of either sitting and having the phone ring or outbound telemarketing. And even at that young age, I said, I want to be able to control my destiny. So I want to be able to call out to people. And when I started working there, the campaign that they put me on was a mortgage campaign. And at that time, I would call people and I would say, what interest rate are you paying? Maybe I can save you money. And we would generate leads. Well, about four months into that job, I thought to myself, hey, I would love to own a home one day. I know I'm very young, but, you know, my husband and my son, we would love to own a home. I need to look into how to do that. So one day, I'm 21 years old. I decide I'm going to go knock on the door of the highest person in the company, and I'm going to ask them how to do that. 
So I walk in at four o'clock in the afternoon. I knock on the door. This older gentleman looks up at this 21 year old girl and says, yes. And I said, hi, I'm Laura Brandale, one of your nighttime telemarketing reps. And I have a question. He's looking at me like I'm a Martian of why are you in my office? And I said, I am working on this mortgage campaign and I would one day like to own a home. So my question to you is, how can I get more hours so I can save? And he looked at me like as if no one had ever had the nerve to go and ask him this question. And at that moment, he asked me if I was good at computers. I said, of course I'm good at computers. I mean, listen, I'm 21 years old. It's only a few years from high school. And I said, yes. And that evening, they showed me how to run reports. And when I ran those reports, I did not just run them. I analyzed those reports. I made recommendations of moving people around to different campaigns based on their personalities. I made copies of my analysis and I then slipped it under the doors of every vice president in that company. And when I came in to work the next day, the gentleman was waiting for me and he said, Laura, come here. I think I'm in trouble. He sat me down and said, we're promoting you to be the manager of the call center. The next few years, I kept getting promoted. I spent a total of five there while I had my second son, both of my children. And by the end of my time at that marketing firm, I ran the marketing firm before I moved on to a position within the mortgage industry. Wow. Wow. So tell me something. When, when you are breaking these things down, was it the knowledge that you had acquired from all the phone calls that you made? Or did you feel like that, that it came naturally to you? Because here's why I asked that question. Yeah. Some people are built for certain things mm-hmm. in life. And, and, it, and, and I can't explain it other than the fact that God equips them mm-hmm. with certain skills to be really good at, at things. My son is an engineering major. I would, I'd be terrible at engineering. (laughs) I don't like the math. Me too. But my son doesn't really like communication and connection like I do. So that's why I'm more wired for sales. He's more like his, he's more like his mom Mm -hmm. in, in that respect. Did you feel like that those things came naturally to you being able to break that down what what was it? Was it a combination of what you had learned? I'm fascinated to know what the what the prompting for you was to do to go the extra mile. Do you want to know what what it was? The reason I really I, want to know what it is. I, 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 I I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I'm going to tell you because because this those things that I did then, I still do every day today. Right, so it doesn't change. It's the people. It's the care and the compassion and the connection to the people. See, the reason why I was able to do that is because when I looked at those reports and I looked at people's conversion rates and I looked at their dial rates and I looked at how many sales they were able to get based on the campaign, I didn't look at numbers. I looked at the people. 
and because I listened to Brian every single day and I heard how he interacted with the clients and how I knew that he had a four-year-old son that played soccer and because I knew that your full-time job was working at a sports store, I knew that your best place was not on a mortgage campaign. It was on a campaign that had to do with sports. So what motivated me to do that was because I was able to put people in the places that I knew they would be most successful based on absolutely understanding the people. Hmm. That is so good because again, I, I've Laura, I said this in my book and it's applicable here. People buy connection before they ever make a transaction. hundred percent. And so when, when, when you are, when you're calling folks and you're asking them about saving money on a mortgage, or you're calling them about what we, when you align people with what they care about, Yep. here's what happens. Those people begin immediately connecting with the people they're calling. Because now they're connected to the mission and the purpose. And because they're connected to the mission and purpose, they're able to connect with those people and go, I'm on your team. That's right. I'm on the same team you are. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason I'm calling you is I want better mortgage rates for my family. Right. That's right. The reason I'm calling you is. You I know, want to be able yeah. to save your family money right. every single month. I you want know, to be able to help you. Right. And here's the thing. You don't have to love everything you sell, mm -hmm. but you should like the people you're trying to help. Yes. You should have a really strong desire to go, you know, and, and, and have enough integrity about yourself to go, I don't know if we can help you or not. Right. I don't know if we can help you or not. We may not be able to help you, mm -hmm. but I would love to connect with you and see if there's a possibility if we can. And so I love what you said there about putting people in the right place. It's, it's, it's like with, it's like in my career, I saw great salespeople and, and upper management goes, well, it's obvious they they could be a great sales manager No, and they were terrible. As, as a sales manager, because they were such a lone wolf as a salesperson, right. it's what made them great. They were a lone wolf. They knew how to figure it out. But when it came to managing other people and kind of, you know, dialing in the secrets, they were like, yeah, I probably should tell you, but I'm not, you know, so, but, but I love what you said there about manipulating the pieces and things like that. Yeah, and to this day, if you were to ask my team at my company what my superpower is, it's figuring out the best place to put someone for them to be successful. Even more than where they think they should be. It's identifying and connecting with your team enough to know where they truly fit based on their skills and their love and their passion. Oh, I love it because here's the thing. You can be a, a tremendous athlete. It doesn't mean your best position is quarterback. That's right. That's right. You know, and, you, and we're a team. So yeah. every piece is vital. So it's not one is less than another. 
Well, and, and, and I'll make a sports analogy here real quick. I went to Marshall, and there's a guy that, that played at Marshall. His name was Randy Moss. He's a, a legendary wide receiver, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. And I was watching a clip the other day, and he was talking with, with a guy named Kevin Garnett, who, who was a great, great basketball player. And he talked about the first time he met Kevin Garnett. They were at a camp. And he said, I thought I was good until I ran into you guys. Right. And he said, you guys were the, one that, that, the ones that pushed me to play football. And go on, and, and he became a Hall of Fame wide receiver, just because he was and he was a great in high school. He was a tremendously talented basketball player, mm-hmm. but he knew his future long term was playing football. He could really and and so it's knowing. I love what you said there about knowing where the right fit is for people, and then getting them into buying into that fit because it's good for them, not just right. because it's good for you. It's good for them. It so is. take. So take me through the biggest obstacle that you've overcome in your life professionally. Well, I mean, my personally. start, my start was the biggest obstacle. Okay. That, well, <laughs> that's so, definitely. So was there another obstacle that comes to mind? And and give me the lesson that you learned from it. I, I want to know a little bit more about an obstacle, personal or professional, that you overcame and the lesson you learned from it. Well, listen, I mean. Going through us having to figure out how to start a family without any planning was certainly the biggest obstacle. I would say the biggest obstacle, but I'll give you another story that I share in the book. So when I left the marketing company, I, you know, naturally at this time, I want to go and work a regular, you know, nine to five type job because my kids are in school. It's time for me to, okay, not have to work at night. So where do I go? Well, there's an opening for a mortgage company. And I'm like, ooh, I could do mortgage. I've been doing mortgage at the marketing company. So I get a job at the marketing company. I ran their sales organization, did extremely well, booming sales, okay? Well, actually to the point that my operations couldn't keep up with my sales. So at 27, I said, teach me operations. I'll learn how to process loans. I'll learn how to underwrite loans. Let's do this. And I was promoted to chief operations officer, a COO at 27. Okay. So at that time I get my promotion, I get my raise. Things are great. We're moving up this corporate ladder. Well, about a year later, there's mortgage industry is cycles, good cycles, bad cycles. Okay. So year later, bad cycle comes. Okay. Rates go up, whatever. Okay. The owner of the company brings me into his office and he says, Laura, you've done great. You built our company. You got us going, but you know, times are tough. He goes, and you know, I know I give you that promotion for COO and I give you that increase. But, you know, I've decided you're not really worth that money. So I'm going to take that money away. Um, but, hey, you still have a job. And at that moment, sitting in that office, listening to a man tell me that I'm not really worth that money, I had a decision to make. Hmm. Yeah. And with zero pause... I said, if you feel that way, I will need to resign from my position effective immediately. He thought I was bluffing, but I was not. And I stayed that day showing my team how to do all of my 
here's my passwords, here's who you call for this, here's my cell phone number in case you run into trouble. And I quit my job with no plan of what I was going to do next, no thought of even asking permission from anyone. And that was a pivotal moment in my life that I decided no one will ever tell me I'm not worth anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. 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 So powerful. Because again, it doesn't matter. Man, woman, boy, girl. Doesn't. You, when, when you produce and when you continue to perform, you should get paid. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a formula that works time and time again, production plus performance equals pay, whether, no matter what you do. And, and again, my hat's off to you. And I wrote this down for the show notes, getting promoted at, to a COO at 27 and having the guts to walk away. Yes. That was gutsy to walk I away. I didn't even call my husband. I literally quit the job, stayed the whole day, and then called my husband on the ride home and said, this is what I did. And I got a feeling he was supportive. I got a feeling I was, was just about supportive. to say, and the wonderful man that I'm still married to all these years later, of course, said, Laura, you made the right decision. Yeah. And I know, just so you know, I had another job making more money two days later. Yeah. Doesn't surprise so, me a bit. Doesn't surprise me a bit. So on that note, share with this audience. I mean, you shared something powerful. I feel like you've got something even more powerful. Share <laughs> with this audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Biggest piece of intentional encouragement. I mean, listen, I think you mentioned about you started with COVID and you spoke about how do you keep yourself in the right frame of mind? My biggest intentional encouragement is you have to take care of yourself first. You absolutely a hundred percent every single day need to fill yourself up because you cannot be at your best to be there for others unless you take care of yourself first. So how I do that is I actually, I do not look at my phone when I wake up. I wake up at four in the morning and the first thing I do is positive affirmations and meditation. And I get myself into the right frame of mind before I look at the emails or the social media or anything else that is going on. I continually fill myself up with positive influence, whether it's TED Talks, whether it's reading books, whether it's listening to podcasts. I stay away from things like the news and stay away from anything that may be fear-based. I try to stay away from those types of things. So what you feed yourself is going to be the best encouragement for the rest of the world of you providing your best to others. Mm. That is so good because again, and, and, and that's what I'm working on with the, with the intentional encourager book that, that the part one is you have to encourage yourself first. You cannot encourage anybody else until you encourage yourself first. I love that, that I knew, see, I knew you had something 
<laughs> yeah, I knew you had something brilliant. <laughs> tell folks, Laura, tell folks how they can connect with you. Absolutely. I'm very active on social media. So for, by all means, connect to me on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. And my website is my name. So laurabrandeo.com. Right there, you can see the book. My book is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all that good stuff. Or you could go to the website and you could see everything that I'm doing, working on podcasts, shows, all that good stuff. And I love to meet new people. I love to connect. And I certainly love anyone that is looking for encouragement because we all are in this together. I've intentionally stayed off Instagram because I don't want to have a fight with my 20 year old. <laughs> that's his, that's his thing. So Laura Brandeo, this has been so good. Thank you today for joining me on the intentional encourager podcast. It is truly a pleasure, Brian, all the best. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager. <laughs>